Christmas. It is so uh, good to be together to worship the Lord this morning, so uh, glad to see you. If you don't know me, my name is Connor. I'm one of the pastors here and uh, want to say hello, especially if you're new this morning. We want to welcome you. We are so glad to have you with us. I would love for you to be able to meet someone uh, after the service. You could step up here and say hello to a pastor or elder. Uh, You could also head outside to the Welcome Center after service, so glad to have you with us. Uh, For all of us, we remind ourselves every Sunday morning that at Grace, we want to be a Christ-centered community intent on proclaiming the gospel, making disciples, and sacrificially serving Jesus. Uh, That's what it's all about. We want to do that this morning. So with that, let's begin our service reading from God's Word. Please stand with me if you're able, and we're going to read from Psalm 96, the first four verses. Psalm 96, the first four verses. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name, tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. And Father, we desire to sing to you this morning, to bless your name, to declare that you you alone are glorious and you alone are to be feared. And uh, this morning, we especially want to praise you and thank you for uh, the gift of your Son, sending Jesus to be our Savior. Lord, we we pray that you would just open our eyes to see his glory this morning as we're together. We pray all this in his name. Amen.
Amen. Our scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Luke, chapter 1. And if you have your Bible, I invite you to turn there with me. Luke, chapter 1, and we are going to read verses 67 through 79 together. We'll remain standing out of honor for God and his perfect, inerrant, inspired, authoritative word. Luke, chapter 1, starting in verse 67. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet, into the way of peace. Amen. You may be seated. And as we pray together this morning, I'll just mention that we are especially going to pray for one of the missionary couples that we support, Nathaniel and Kayla Perry, uh, missionary families, I should say, and they're serving in a a, uh, no-access type country, very challenging place for the gospel. And so as we pray, we'll pray for them this morning. Let's pray together. Father, we want to come to you this morning and praise you. Thank you that the world was in darkness, but a light has shone, that you have sent your eternally begotten Son into the world to take flesh, to live among us as a man, to walk this earth all the way to the point of the most humiliating and shameful death imaginable by crucifixion, becoming a curse for his people, and rising again so that we could have life full and true and real life now and forever. Lord, we are so thankful and we just want to praise you. We acknowledge together as your people this morning our, our inadequacy, our unworthiness. Um, even as believers, uh, many of us, all of us, are prone to wander. We see ourselves going back to old patterns of sin. Even in the last week, Lord, we have not loved you like we ought to love you. We have Uh, become distracted. We've forgotten you. Maybe even in the uh, midst of all the busyness of Christmas, we've forgotten you. And so, Father, we, we want to ask this morning that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would draw our hearts to see Jesus and to worship him. Um, We confess our sins to you. We acknowledge that, that Christ alone is our only hope. Our hope rests completely in his uh, death for us, in his righteous life, in his glorious resurrection, Uh, Lord Jesus, would you deepen our trust and hope in you this morning. Help us to look to nothing else. Um, We want to find our life only in you. Lord, we we pray that you would continue to make us a people, like Zechariah prayed, that we would uh, serve you uh, in holiness and righteousness. Um, Lord, that we we would walk with you and experience your blessing. Thank you that Christ is the yes and amen to all of your promises, that they're all fulfilled in him. And so, we can experience full blessing of communion with you and uh, that life uh, on earth even now as we look forward to 
the glory that's coming as well. And Lord, we just pray that in, in all of this, you would help us to, to see Christ and live in a way that would reflect your own glory. Um, Lord, we're just so grateful. We also want to pray for Nathaniel and Kayla this morning. Thank you for them and, and for their ministry. We pray that you bless what they're doing uh, in a challenging place in the world for the gospel. Would you cause the work to bear fruit? Would you bring people from death to life to trust in Jesus uh, just as we have? Let me pray for the establishment of faithful local churches in that nation and among that people group uh, that would preach your word and, and declare the good news and the victory of Jesus in the world. Um, we pray for them, that you would encourage them personally, that you would strengthen them to be able to stay focused on the things that matter most. And Lord, we're so thankful thinking of them and many other uh, missionaries and just brothers and sisters around the world that um, all around the world, the, the light of Christ has gone. And thank you that we share in that life with, um, with so many brothers and sisters around the world. Lord, we worship you this morning. We pray that everything that we do would uh, draw attention and glory to your Son. Uh, we, want to, we want to worship him in spirit and truth this morning. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Would you stand once more if you're able as we sing? Oh, come Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel, that mourns in lonely exile, until the Son of God appears. Rejoice,
Father, thank you that we can sing so many things, and yet all truths sung back to you, reminding one another, reminding ourselves that we rejoice because Jesus, the Savior, the Messiah, has come. God with us. We rejoice in that reality this morning. Pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. God is a God of mercy and peace, and yet there is something missing from many of our hearts and relationships, and it is mercy and peace. Since the fall, every aspect of human existence has been tainted, and really in every time and in every place, still driven and ruined by sinful man's foolish choices, and oftentimes we don't experience tenderness, maybe just the harsh reality of depraved humanity at war with God and man, no olive branches being extended. Our response is we like to put lipstick on the pig and dress ourselves up in our achievements and we get fixated with ourselves and our own ingenuity and our own inventions and willpower and what we find is nothing of eternal value will happen or can happen until God opens your heart to the gospel truth and you receive mercy and peace with God. And you learn the truth that Jesus showers believers with mercy and leads us in the way of peace. That without God's sovereign choice of grace and Christ's sacrifice at the cross, you'd be assigned to eternal punishment apart from the only holy God forever. And what you find is that Mercy and peace are not achieved by avoiding the problem altogether, but by overcoming it. And that God went straight at the problem, conquering sin, death, and hell through Christ's shed blood at the cross. It's the gospel truth. And we've been dwelling on what it means to live by faith following God's call to salvation in Christ. And what we've done the last three weeks is take Ephesians 4, 1-3 and illustrate those verses by Christ's birth narratives. We've seen Mary's humility and Joseph's gentleness and Mary and Joseph's patience. We see their spirit-generated responses that are uh, striking and they reveal a deep trust in Christ to save and empower them to live. But today what I want us to do is focus almost entirely on Christ. And we'll be in Luke chapter 1 and really... The two primary verses, 78 and 79, when we talk about tender mercy and the way of peace, how Jesus showers the believer with mercy and leads you in the way of peace. And what I want you to notice is in Luke 1, mercy is, is very heavy in Luke 1. In verse 54, Mary speaks of how God has helped Israel in remembrance of his mercy. 
And then you see in verse 58 that Elizabeth's neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her in giving her a son, John the Baptist. And then you see in Zechariah's response to God that he is showing mercy, verse 72, promised to our fathers. And then in verse 78, the very unique phrase, the tender mercy of our God. I'm going to focus on that idea, the tender mercy of our God, and then how he leads us in the way of peace. But just to you know, set the stage and, and let you know where, where this comes from. So you've got in Luke 1, you've got this Levite priest, Zechariah, who is visited by the angel of the Lord and told that he would have a son, and he doesn't believe the angel's message. He doesn't believe it. And so he gets judged with muteness. He can't speak the entire pregnancy of his wife because he did not believe the message that the angel had given him. Then it cuts to Mary receiving the news of the impending birth of the Messiah. You see her deep humility just shining brightly in Luke 1. And Mary goes and stays with her relative Elizabeth, who at that point was six months pregnant. And presumably she stays till John the Baptist is born. We see in verse 58 that on the eighth day of his life, and this was by God's command, this was the, the custom to name the child at the circumcision. And there's this family pressure going on saying, well, you're going to give him his father's name, right? Out of respect for the dad. You call him Zechariah. Well, the priests that were doing the circumcision, they're basically making signs to Zechariah. They're assuming he's deaf since he couldn't speak. And what he's doing is writing things down. And so Elizabeth learned from Zechariah in writing, presumably everything that, that the angel Gabriel had told him. And he is, he is filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, you have to know something about this. And you see this in verse 67, that every time someone is filled with the Holy Spirit in Luke's narratives of Christ's birth, there, the result is, is spirit-driven worship. You know, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And they're like just praising God, you know, exuberantly, immensely. It's kind of like when, when you, um, you know, you're watching a ball game or something, and you like just, your team scores, and you, you get so excited, you, you cry out with, with a shout. And this is different, though. This is more, this is more because it's about praising God not about just being happy about something that you wanted to have happen. And so Zechariah is filled with the Holy Spirit, and he praises God. So it's called, this is known, verses you know, 68 to 79, is known as the Benedictus, and it's because it's the first word in, in verse 68 in Latin, the idea of a blessing God. And just like Mary Earlier, it's called the Magnificat because it's the first word in verse 46 in Latin where she says, my soul magnifies the Lord. And both of these bursts of praise to God 
are sprinkled with Old Testament quotes, very significant. So Zechariah was, had been struck mute in the temple. And when he was struck mute in the temple, what he would have been doing is giving the final blessing in his service that he was doing. So it's very striking and very notable that when his speech is restored, the first thing out of his mouth is blessing to God. Like he goes back and gives the blessing that he should have given to begin with, but now it's just filled, filled with gospel truth. So look at verse 68. Here's what he says. Blessed be the God of Israel, for he has visited, and this is very important, the idea of visiting and then redeeming his people. Verse 69, he has raised up a horn of salvation. It's a very uh, messianic, uh, common expression for God strongly saving. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Another very key thing, because the, the Messiah would come from the house of David. Psalm 18, verse 2 says, The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield, or the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. So the symbol of strength, the horn of salvation has been raised up. And then verse 70, he says, As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old. This has been promised. Now Zechariah and Elizabeth were Levites, but one raised up in the house of David, greater than John, would be the Messiah. In verse 71, it says that we should be saved from our enemies, from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy. And there's the mercy of God that, would, that was promised, that God was going to show mercy to his people, that he was going to alleviate, alleviate the, the misery that sin brings. That's what mercy does. It holds back wrath. God in mercy holds back wrath against your sin. If you're a believer today, it's because the, the wrath of God went upon Christ at the cross and therefore he can extend you mercy. And so it says in verse 72 that he would show the mercy promised to our fathers. This reminds us of Habakkuk pleading with God, in wrath, remember mercy. And this is leading Mary and Zechariah to proclaim God has remembered his mercy. God has remembered the mercy that he promised. It says to, to, in verse 72, to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham. Another key point here, the holy covenant, the Abrahamic covenant. It takes you back to Genesis 12, 1-3, this promise of salvation by grace through faith in the, in the Redeemer. The covenant, Spurgeon put it this way, the covenant is a sure foundation of mercy. Covenant mercy is sure as the throne of God. God is going to keep his promises. We don't keep our promises. We, you know, we, don't, we don't keep all of our contracts. We don't always keep our word. God does. And it says here in verse 74 that he was going to grant that being delivered from their enemies, they would serve him without fear. They would have reverence for God, but they wouldn't be afraid of condemnation. They, they would have holiness and righteousness all of their days before God. Get to verse 76 and 77. It's now speaking of John the Baptist's role. You, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give 
knowledge of salvation to his people. He would preach the gospel. And it says, in the forgiveness of their sins, literally the taking away of sins, remission of sins, that forgiveness is the heart of salvation. Like if you're saved today, if you're trusting Jesus and he saved your soul, that means your sins are forgiven. That God saves the sinner from separation from him and eternal hell by atoning for their sins at the cross. And it says in verse 78, it's because of the tender mercy of our God. This is why he did it. Whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high. Sunrise, day spring. Messianic reference again, referring to the Messiah being sent. This is all, this forgiveness is because of the tender mercy of our God. Verse 79 says to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. To guide our feet in the way of peace. What Zechariah was doing was pointing to Christ. Rejoicing in John's birth and rejoicing in the coming birth of his Messiah. This is like Isaiah 9 too. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. Isaiah 60 verse 1, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Speaking of those that God blesses with salvation. Malachi 4.2 says, Those who fear God's name, the Son of righteousness, shall rise with healing in its wings, forgiveness, restoration, new life. And so what he's doing is he's celebrating God's tender mercy. God reconciling fallen man to himself through the sacrifice of the Redeemer and and, and leading them in the way of peace. And, And you need to know this truth about Jesus. Whether you're a believer or not, if you're not a believer today, you need to know this truth about Jesus. That Jesus showers the believer with mercy and leads the believer in the way of peace. What that means is if you're not a Christian today, We want you to come to faith in Christ. But you are not showered in God's mercy. You have common grace. The sun rises and and you get rain and and, uh, you're able to do life, but your soul is not saved. And and you you need to know that Jesus is the only one who could shower your soul with mercy, alleviate the misery that sin brings, can forgive you, and, and then lead you in the way of peace, lead you in his way. And it's, it's all based on what we call the finished work of Christ, where he uh, came to earth to save sinners, and he paid the penalty that sin had to uh, be paid with. It was he, the wrath of God went upon him instead of the believer. And at the cross, you can put it this way, your sins are either on you or Jesus. And if they're on Jesus, it's because you're a believer in Jesus. But you must know this truth about Jesus. He showers the believer with mercy and leads you in the way of peace. And if we broke that down, the first thing you need to know about Jesus is that his heart is full of tender mercy. This, this missing mercy, this missing peace that we have missed in our, in our 
insistence on, you know, in a sense, uh, making God into our own image and, and demanding a God that would fit our preconceived uh, notions or stereotypes about him. No, the, the word tells us what he is like, and, and his heart is full of tender mercy. And if you look at verse 78, it says that forgiveness will come because of the tender. Now, the tender mercy. The tender there is an interesting word. It literally means your inward parts. It's like the guts. It's like the intestines. It's the heart and, and the liver and all the things inside. The idea is that, that, that God's heart is full of tender mercy. The tender mercy, the, the compassion of our, of our God. And the idea about tender mercy is not that, well, you know, I experienced mercy or that it was promised to me, but that it starts in the heart of God. Like, where does it come from? It comes from God. The tender mercy of God because he loves his people so. Jesus, in, in Matthew, it says that he felt compassion because the people were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And here's the good shepherd dying for the sheep and rising for their life. And here is Zechariah, before he, even before Christ is born, he is, he is praising God, singing joyfully, of forgiveness of sin. This man had been disciplined for unbelief. And when his speech returns, he sings of mercy. It's notable. He sings of salvation. He sings of forgiveness. That justice would be satisfied by Christ's blood. That mercy would be magnified to God's delight. That God tenderly speaks mercy to the downcast, to the dejected, to the defeated, to the despondent. If, that's, if, that, if that describes you today, you could experience the mercy of God. It's, it's interesting that even some people that, don't, that, 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 that profess faith in Christ, they, they, don't, they don't know the mercy of God. The mercy of God, that God tenderly speaks mercy to your soul. In Isaiah 63, it says, I will recount the steadfast love of the Lord, the praises of the Lord, according to all that he has granted to us, how, how great his blessings are, great goodness to the house of Israel. He granted them according to his compassion. That's the tender mercy of God. That's the inward parts of God. That's the heart of God, according to the abundance of his steadfast love. I mean, don't sit here today and think, well, God wouldn't have mercy on me. You know, like I'm too bad or I'm too messed up. What does it say in Ephesians 2? It says this, it says, but God, but God being rich in mercy. So his mercy is, is so abundant. It says, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our sins, made us, this is speaking of the believer, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. If you're saved today, it's not because of your works, it's because of God's grace. That God was in mercy, holding back the wrath against your sins, such that he can extend you grace, what you don't deserve. 
He freely forgives. And, and you'll notice, in the forgiveness of, our, of their sins, because of the tender mercy of, of our God, he is merciful. Literally, the word is related to a word that means glad and merry and cheerful. The idea means propitious, like the, that he's going to be showing mercy to you, ready to forgive sins, ready to bestow blessings, favorable to you, benevolent to you, forgiving you, uh, favorably disposed toward you. Some of you, you know, think that God's always against you. You got weird, wrong ideas about God. If you're a believer, God is not against you. He is for you. He is favorably disposed toward you. And he demonstrates mercy and compassion toward you. If you're not a Christian, you're right. You, you don't have the mercy of God. But if you're a believer, if you're a humble believer, that is, it's like the, the tax collector in, in Luke 18, the tax gatherer. He, just, he won't even look up to heaven. He just says, God, be merciful to me. He's saying, God, be favorable to me, the sinner. He had no hope but God's mercy. That's where the law leads every sinner. So if you're a repentant one today, if you're turning from your sins, you're poor in spirit, you know you're bankrupt apart from Christ, you're, you know your bankruptcy apart from, from Jesus Christ, he's not going to crush you He's going to comfort you. And he doesn't crush you. He comforts you. A lot of believers, they struggle with their past sins. They start wondering, is God holding me guilty? Is God condemning me? If you're a believer today and you're struggling with your past sins and you're thinking that God is still holding you guilty and God is condemning you, you need to, to dwell on Romans 8 and, and Romans 8.1 in particular. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. In Psalm 103, verse 12, it says, As far as the east is from the west, has he removed our transgressions from us, our sins. Like, believer, your sins have been removed from you as far as the east is from the west. Now, if it, if it said north from south, you could measure it. But there's no east or west pole. God's forgiveness, what it's telling you is, it's limitless, it's perfect, it's complete. Whether you feel it, whether you believe it. If you're a Christian today, you'd be a lot less miserable if you believed it. Isaiah 43, I'm the one who wipes out your transgressions for my own sake. Did you realize that? God did it for his own sake, for his glory, for your good. But the highest reason he did it was for his own sake. He says, I will not remember your sins. Isaiah 38, you have kept my soul from the pit of nothingness. You cast all my sins behind your back. The idea is that God chooses not to relate to you, believer, anymore on the basis of your sin, but on the basis of Christ's righteousness. 1 John 4 says that in this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. That's how you live? That's how you live, Christian. So that we might live through him in this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, the mercy seat sacrifice for our sins, 
mercy from the heart of God. Someone might ask you, you know, what's the most life-giving blessing you, you got this year from someone? And you think, oh, someone wrote me a note, someone was, forgave me, someone did this, someone did that. Well, the biggest life-giving gift you ever get is what God in love ministers to your soul quite powerfully in his tender mercy. That, that you don't need to fear the omnipotent God, that, that he's somehow you know, like a fierce lion or like a rabid dog and he's coming after you. No. God coming to save with strength does so strong in mercy. And he will come with vengeance on his adversaries. But for his own, he comes tenderly. Tender mercy. You need to grasp it. You need to know it. You need to know this about Jesus. Comes for his own tenderly, like a strong man with his own child. The tender mercy of God can hold you in the deepest valley, in the, in the, in the strongest storm, in the fiercest storm, and, and only the mercy of God can alleviate sin's misery. You can try all these things to patch things up and to put band-aids on things and to, you know, to work it out in, in your own strength or ideas and only in the mercy of God will your soul be kept secure. It's true. You need to know this. Tender mercy resides in the heart of God and, and it's, it's delivered by God. Like mercy is delivered to the souls of believers by God. You must know this truth about Jesus. His heart is full of tender mercy. And, and, and then, look, verse 78, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high. That he comes to dwell with his people. That his heart is full of tender mercy, and because of that, he comes to dwell with his people. And you notice it says the sunrise or the day spring. It's a messianic reference. It's about the Messiah. It's the sunrise visiting his chosen people. Not the blazing sun of, of the noonday heat, but a, a gentle sunrise. Matthew 4, 16. Basically fulfilled Isaiah 9, 2, as Jesus moved from Nazareth to Capernaum. Again, this is what it said. This, and I read it before. The, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And those dwelling in the region in shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. The idea is you weren't living in a dark country. You were living with a dark soul. You were living with a soul that was, that was burdened down and weighed down, and, and you were on your way to hell. You were on your way to a Christless eternity, unless and until God opened your heart to the gospel. John 1, 9 says, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Jesus said in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. He said in John 12, I've come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. And again, it's not that your light bulbs went out. It's that your soul was, was lost. And it's using those figures of light and darkness. In Acts 26, Jesus tells Paul that Paul is recounting his, his testimony. He says that Jesus told me this, that he was sending me to the Gentiles to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, to receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Those are the words of Jesus. And the tender mercy of God comes from his heart and he loves 
the believers so much. And it says he visited, he visits his people. The, what does it mean that he visited his people? It doesn't mean that like, you know, it's, it's great when you're in the hospital, someone visits you. It's not like that. That's merciful. That's great. But the idea is it means that the Messiah coming to them to save them. That this visit from God is startlingly different than Emmanuel, God with us, where he left heaven above to come to save us because of his love and his magnificent mercy. He did this for us. And, and God visited a lot of people in Scripture. Uh, Bethlehem visit was the most glorious. One more to come in greatest glory in the return of Christ. You think of rulers visiting their subjects, politicians photo-opping with their people. This king, the king, condescends to be with us in our misery and lifts us in our pain because the word became flesh. John 1.14 says the word became flesh. This is the incarnation. There's a lot of weird things said about the incarnation. They'll say, you know, God became man, and they'll leave it at that, and you're like, well, is he still God? What's going on? Well, you need to know the truth about the incarnation. God the Son did not cease being God to become man. Right? He didn't exchange his deity for humanity. He didn't give up his divine nature. You know, very God of very God dwelt with us, Emmanuel, God with us. And his divine nature was not diluted, in any way, it was not diminished in any way that God the Son eternally existed and assumed human nature with his unchanging divine nature, retaining deity, taking on humanity. And by his perfect sacrifice, he grants mercy. He grants peace to the undeserving. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's for every believer. He brings you into his church, brings you into his body, uh, makes you part of his bride because of his mercy, because of his love. In the Old Testament Exodus, Israelites got the designation or the title pilgrims and aliens. They were moving from place to place. Their, their church was a, a tent. They got set up and taken down over and over again as they followed God in the wilderness. In the New Testament, the incarnation is described the same way. Again, John 1.14, the word became flesh. The word that was with God and was God from the beginning became flesh and dwelt, literally tabernacled or pitched his tent among us. That Jesus is the ultimate pilgrim in the incarnation, the supreme journey. Christ left his heavenly home on our behalf. He took on our nature. He lived in this world for a season. He walked with peasants and princes. He took our condemnation. He gave his blood and life for us. Isaiah 53 says, He bore our sorrows. He bore our griefs. And the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. He became our ransom. And it's because of tender mercy to the maximum, the unlimited tender mercy that visited us by coming to die and gave the Holy Spirit, that the love of God has been poured out in the believer's heart by the Holy Spirit given to us. And the indwelling Spirit of God uses the Word of God to sanctify us and to comfort you and to correct you and to, to chastise you, but never to condemn you. You might be 
depressed today. You might be burdened. You might be weeping. If you're a Christian, he visits you. It's proof of his tender mercy. Cast your cares upon him, 1 Peter 5, 7. Cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. You can do it right now. You can cast every care upon him. And some people don't care about you. Some people walk away from you. Some people harass you. Some people yell at you. And Jesus walks with you. Jesus helps you. Jesus blesses you. And, and it's, he's called the sunrise from on high. Not the harsh wind. Not the blazing new day sun. A gentle sunrise. He visits us at our lowest and, and floods the world with joy. And when we were without strength, Christ died for the ungodly. He did it. Jesus said, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Believer, you will not be put to shame. He will not scold you. Some of you think that God is scolding you all the time. He will not scold you. He will save you. If you're a believer, he is saving you. He'll take you all the way to heaven. Now, some things might cloud you over. Uh, weeping may come. But as the scriptures say, joy comes in the morning. It comes to visit the believer with infinite blessings. Your, your soul has more mercy aimed at it than you could ever imagine. Deliverances and providence and protection and he leads and he guides and, and you need to know this about Jesus. You need to know it. You need to grasp it. You need to, to not lose this. You know, a world bereft of, of, of mercy and, and peace that, that God's heart toward you, believer, is full of mercy. And he comes to dwell with his people. And, and, and then as he dwells with his people, he leads you in the way of peace. Now, some of you are like, well, I'm always at war. Well, something's wrong. Because he leads his people in the way of peace. Blessed are the peacemakers. Guides us in the way of peace. Verse 79, look at it. To give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Imagine if you were on a road trip and you were in the middle of nowhere. In the dark of night, and all your headlights and all your lights inside your car stop working. And there's no lights around, no town within miles. You're helpless. I've driven a lot uh, across the country with my family. I actually said this during first hour, and I got some looks by my family. I'm going to be corrected later, but I'll tell you what, I, what I've done. is There have been times where I'll be driving on a, on a, on a stretch of road, you know, like in New Mexico or something, in pitch black. And just for a moment, while everyone's maybe asleep, I just turn the lights off. Just for that very moment, because I'm like, ah, you know, it's just the weirdest feeling in the world, right? We got back, it's not a problem. <laughs> but where, what, what if you're on this road trip and you're in the middle of nowhere, dark of night, all the lights stop working, there's nothing but darkness, you are helpless. But then, but then behind you, you see a faint light and it keeps getting closer and brighter, and it is a rescue vehicle. Praise the Lord, right? A rescue vehicle. And the driver tells you, follow me. 
I'm gonna, uh, he takes the lead, and you follow the light all the way in to, to safety. Well, if you think about you spiritually, I'm talking to believers here, at one point you were sitting in darkness, pitch black, couldn't make heads or tails of anything. Now, if you're not a believer today, that's you. Now, you might have the best eyesight in the, in the room. You might have the highest IQ in the room. Uh, you might be the best-looking person in the room. And if you're not a believer, you are sitting in darkness, spiritually speaking, and you don't know the way. And he, every Christian will, will say, yeah, there, I was helpless, and, and I thought I was quite clever and wise, but I was helpless. And you could say, you could look back at your life, go, you know, some things worked out, but I made a shambles of things. Now, if you, if you cannot say, if you're a Christian and you cannot say, I've never made a shambles of things, something's wrong. But may, and maybe you were successful, but you were unfulfilled. But whatever the case, you were leading your own life and you almost led your, yourself over a cliff, proverbially, all right? And, and, and Isaiah says this about it. Peace, peace to the far and the near, says the Lord. I will heal them. There's a promise of saving those he has chosen. But then he says this, but the wicked, they're like the tossing sea, for it cannot be quiet, and its waters toss up mire and dirt. There is no peace, says God, for the wicked. No peace for the wicked. Romans 3 says, the way of peace they have not known. Psalm 107 says, some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in chains. That's, that it describes you before you became a believer or you now if you're not a believer. And what God says, Isaiah 42, I will lead the blind in a way they do not know. In paths they have not known, I will guide them. I will turn darkness before them into light and rough places into level ground. In Luke 2, it's, it's, it's described like this a light of revelation for the Gentiles and for glory to God's people, Israel. Why? Why would that happen? Because of God, because of his tender mercy. God in Christ rescuing the world from itself, rescuing you from yourself. He leads us even with the lamp of his word. Psalm 25 says, good and upright is the Lord. He instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble in his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness to those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. Proverbs 3 talks about wisdom and says, Wisdom ways are ways of pleasantness and all her paths are of peace. And 2 Peter 1.19 says, We have the prophetic word more sure, more fully confirmed, to which you would do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the light dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And, and God in mercy and in tenderness does this. What, what, a, what a savior we have in Christ that he guides our feet in the way of peace. We who are at war with so many people Jesus is the way. Jesus is our peace. He commends his love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And, and tender mercy, it starts not in your heart, but in God's heart. Expressed through the gospel to do the work of God that only he can do. And what does he do? He gently leads you and guides you.
He, he is patient. Some of you are like, I'm growing so slowly. Well, he's patient with those who grow slowly. And he helps the willing-hearted. He helps the tender-hearted. He helps the humble-hearted. Uh, and, and what happened? You see wars even among people. You see fighting among people. And it comes from hearts that are cold and that are oftentimes merciless. Who, who have not been visited by God or they've been visited by God, but somehow, somehow they let sin control their life. I heard something about Jesus yesterday, and it was false. The person wrote, God the Son became man to be close to each of us. Not true. I'm not going to guess that every person in this room or every person hearing this is a Christian. He did not become man to get close to you if you're not a Christian. He came to save sinners, not to you know, cuddle up with those who will not confess their sins or their need for his saving blood, his cleansing blood. And by the way, kids, open your ears wide on this one, and I'll take all the complaints right over here later. Actually, skip, Will. <laughs> Santa Claus has no idea when you are naughty and not, or nice or sleeping or awake. Do not, lose the fables, Christians. Lose the fables. He does not have the, the attributes of God. Only Jesus knows when you're naughty or nice or sleeping or awake. Love, lose the fables and love the, the, the all-faithful Savior. And, and by the way, Jesus does not approve of your sin. And Jesus died for your sin. And Jesus can save you from your sin. But you need to turn from your sin and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. What, what did he say in Revelation twenty two sixteen? 16? He says, I, Jesus, am the root and descendant of David, the bright morning star, the one who made his dwelling among us, the majestic glory. You need to follow him. You need to repent of your sins. What does it say to every believer? Ephesians 5, 8. You were darkness. Now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Why? Because those who are children of light don't always walk as children of light. Verse Thessalonians 5. You are not in darkness for that day to surprise you like a thief. You are all children of light, children of the day. Verse John 1. God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. And the invite is open all the time. In Matthew 11, Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Wrath gave way to mercy at the cross. God paved the way of peace. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Jesus paid the, the cost, and you get the benefit. And, and what it does is it makes you gratefully dependent on God and on his mercy that brought peace. That Jesus, by his mercy, brings us peace. He comes to the lost, he comes to the lowest, he comes to the least, and he gives us peace. His peace is that deep, abiding sense of well-being because God is in control 
and all will be well in Christ. It's tender mercy. It's his tender-hearted compassion. It's his abundant pardon. And what happens, you'll find in your life, is that mercy means more to you when you see the depth of your sin and you see how much you deserve condemnation. And if the tender mercy of God has, has visited you and, and done more for you than you could tell, you need to show mercy. Mercy makes merciful people. Mercy makes people merciful. Not shiny, happy people. Merciful, peaceful people. Jesus said it, blessed are the merciful. Paul said it this way, I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus, that tender mercy of Christ. He said if there's any any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy. He said to the Colossians, put on them as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, merciful, kindness, humility, meekness, patience. You know who wasn't merciful? Scrooge. We're going to talk about fables here. Scrooge wasn't merciful. 1 John 3.17, if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him. How does God's love abide in him? Spurgeon put it this way, it is a wretched business for a man to call himself a Christian and have a soul which never peeps out from between his own ribs. It doesn't befit being saved to never bless others or ease the misery of a groaning world. What do you do? How can you show mercy? How can you show evidence of, of walking in the way of peace today. Maybe you go help at a hospital. Maybe you go build a hospital. Maybe you bring a meal to someone. Maybe you write a, a thank you note. Maybe you give something away. Maybe you reconcile with a friend. Maybe you let an issue go. Maybe you take the high road. Maybe you help someone who cannot pay you back. Maybe you have mercy on those who doubt. Maybe you extend an olive branch of peace even while you're being actively rejected. God's tender mercy comes from his own heart. You must know these truths about Jesus. His heart is full of tender mercy. And he comes to dwell with his people. And he guides us in the way of peace. And yet, is it not true? The same problem in every age. Our sinful selves, we're so self-centered, we're so individualistic. And here's case in point. Even people who believe the gospel, we almost entirely receive it and explain the gospel truth in the context of our own feelings and emotions. And maybe we could learn from those whose love for Christ took precedence. I think of John Owen. He lost his wife and all 11 of his children to death. And you look through the, 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 the very thick volumes of John Owen's work, and he said nothing about that in any of his works. Startling, you say, well, maybe he was just repressing all his feelings. Maybe he wasn't fixated on them like we are. Christ and Scripture meant more to him. You appreciate mercy? It's going to look humble and gentle and patient as you endure painful providence. And the same answer to depravity, the same Savior as always, one cure comforting your heart, comforting the masses.
uh, tender mercy for every repentant sinner that confesses any God-denying sin. And Jesus, in mercy, alleviates the misery of sin. You want more mercy in your life? You want more peace in your life? Focus on Jesus more in your life. He showers you with mercy. He leads you in the way of peace. Lord, we thank you and praise you that you are here with us and on your mighty arm we can rest and we can appeal to your sympathy. Our hearts and our homes, your church, will be filled with love for you every day. That our glorious hope in, in Christ, the anchor for our souls, would be rich as we celebrate his birth and await his return. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand once more as we close singing? God rest ye merry gentlemen, let nothing you dismay. Remember Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day. To save us all from Satan's power when we were gone astray. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy, comfort and joy. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy. He has come for us. Children
announcements as we go. Uh, Christmas Eve service tonight, 4 p.m. out on the plaza. Uh, join us. It will go from 4 to 5 p.m. Also, we have deacon candidates we'll be affirming in January. Check out the handout for that. Karis Women's Conference in Seal Beach in January. Some of our own ladies will be teaching at that. See a handout for that. Lots of missions opportunities, so check those out. And winter and spring calendar handout for everything upcoming. So see you tonight, Christmas Eve service, 4 p.m. And let's close with Hebrews 13, 20 and 21. And now may the God of peace who brought from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. And Lord, we thank you for this time to sing, to pray, to hear your word. Send us now by your glory, uh, in your grace, uh, to do your work. And we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Sovereign